Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. On one occasion, while a crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signalled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I'm going to take us back to the Old Testament for a start. So when the prophet Elijah called the prophet Elisha, right? Two different blokes, sounds very similar, just to confuse us, but two different blokes. So when Elijah called Elisha to come and be a prophet of God, uh, at the time, Elisha was a farmer and he was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen. Now that was a massive tractor for the day. 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, this bloke, he's a big time farmer. And Elijah walks past Elisha. So Elisha's ploughing along in this direction and Elijah walks past him in this direction and as they go past, he throws his coat on, onto Elisha. And um, that's a sign that, that he's going to pass on to Elisha his job of being a prophet. And, and that's where the saying passing on the mantle comes from. You've heard that saying before? Passing on the mantle comes from that, that Bible reference there. So they're just passing each other in the paddock and Elijah throws his mantle, he throws his cloak onto Elisha and keeps walking. And Elisha, he knows what this means. And so he pulls up his tractor as quick as he could. I think the GPS wasn't so good in those days. You just let the, the oxen go and they'd go wherever they wanted to and certainly wouldn't turn around at the end of the row. Um, and so he pulls his tractor up and then he heads after, after Elijah. He runs after him, catches up with him. And he says, look, Elijah, just give me a moment. I'm going to run home. I'm going to kiss mum and dad goodbye. And then I'm going to follow you. But now that, that's a pretty immediate sort of a response, you would think. Yep, yep, pretty immediate. But it wasn't fast enough for Elijah. Elijah basically says, oh, don't worry about it then. But the thing is, Elisha was not trying to get out of it. Elisha was serious about the calling and, and, and answering this call. And so Elisha does something significant. He makes a permanent break with his old life. 
What he did was he disassembled and he destroyed his machinery. All right, so he killed all of his oxen as a sacrifice. So there goes his tractor. And then he took his plow, which was made of wood, and I presume he chopped it up because he cooked the oxen on the plow. He burnt the plow to cook the oxen. And so essentially, and then he, he, fed, he fed the oxen to his neighbours, right? So basically, he fed all of his farming gear to his neighbours. That's a pretty big break. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it. When Elisha was called, he was willing to make a permanent break with his old life. He didn't just park his tractor up so that he could come back to it later on. And he wasn't going to just unhook his plough under a shady tree so that it would be there for him in years to come. He didn't even sell it so that he could then invest the money and buy back into his farming enterprise later on if he wanted to. He just made that complete break. And so after he'd done all that, he caught up with Elijah and followed him. Now, when I think of what Elisha did uh, and his response to God, I find that as somewhat of a challenge for me, for my life. When God calls us to ministry or when he calls us to action or when, when God calls us to sacrifice something, um, something that we might love, something that we, we might want to hold on to, something when he calls us to, to sacrifice maybe something that even we see as something that defines who we are, to sacrifice this for the sake of his kingdom, are we as willing as Elisha? Are we as obedient as Elisha? Now, we see a similar call of God in today's Bible reading. So we've been working our way through the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus is now just beginning his ministry and we've just reached the stage where Jesus is beginning to call his disciples. And when we read this, generally this passage, we usually just see that as the call of Peter. But it's more than that. The focus is on Peter, but there's more than that. Uh, by the way, at, at this stage, Peter is still known by his given name, Simon. Uh, but and this is the first time in, in Luke that he's actually referred to as Simon Peter. Um, but it's about other people here too. So we know from Mark's gospel that Simon's brother Andrew was there too. And he was called at the same time. So Simon and Andrew were brothers. They used to work together. They were fishermen in the same business. Um, and so when it talks, of, even though Andrew's name isn't mentioned here, when it talks about the, the men who are with him, who are catching the fish and, and whatnot, undoubtedly, Andrew was amongst them. And it's also about the call of Simon's fishing partners who worked with him in the other boat, James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And so when we get to verse 11 and it says, and when they had brought their boats into land, they left everything and followed. It wasn't only Peter. It was all four of them. It was Simon Peter, Andrew, James and John. So let's set the scene. We know that, that Simon and Andrew have already had a little bit to do with Jesus because he'd healed their mum. Now Simon... Andrew, James and John 
are on the shore of the lake of Gennesaret. Uh, it's sometimes called the Sea of Galilee, same, same body of water. Uh, it's not really a sea, it actually is a lake, even though the Bible often calls it the Sea of Galilee. And the reason they call it the Lake of Gennesaret is because they're by the town of Gennesaret, so it's sort of like the lake that fronts the town of Gennesaret, but same spot. Anyway, the fishermen who, who crewed these two boats, they've had a really long and really hard night. They have laboured all night and caught what? Nothing. You'd think that I'd been fishing with them. I mean, uh, that, that happens when you go fishing. Um, although often when I go fishing with people, they'll catch fish and I'll catch nothing. Unless we're at Fraser Island, then I'll catch a few fish and they'll catch a lot of fish. Um, I'm not a good fisherman. I enjoy fishing. So if anyone's ever going fishing, yes, feel free to invite me. And I won't stop you from catching fish, but I might learn from you. Um, and so now it's the following day. They've worked hard all night. They've caught nothing. And now they're parked up and they're on the shore maintaining their gear. And Jesus chooses that spot to teach. And the crowds start gathering in and pressing in so tight that sort of pushing against him. So Peter, Jesus sees the opportunity. He hops into Peter's boat and he says, Peter, just pop that out into the water just a little way. And he basically uses it as the river stage. Now we're not told what Jesus taught on that day. But after he finishes, he says to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, when I read that, I'm sort of like, you know what? That would be sort of like a computer expert saying to a farmer, how about this year you plant your wheat in the middle of summer? Now, if anybody's a farmer, you sort of go, oh, yeah, thanks very much for the advice. Um, we might just keep doing things our own way. That's very helpful. Thank you. And, and Simon's response to this sort of has two sides to it. So the first side is the professional fisherman side. Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. Right? It's like, yeah, we, we are professional fishermen. We, we do know what we're doing here. Um, and, and like, why would I, a professional fisherman, listen to a carpenter who's telling me to fish at the wrong time of day when we didn't have any luck fishing at the right time of day? What hope are we going to have now? Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. But then Simon spoke as a man of faith. But at your word... I will let down the nets. And the nets closed around so many fish, they were breaking and they hollered out, James, John, get that other boat in here quick. And, and that other boat comes and they fill both boats full. And like these boats are sitting so low, low in the water, the gunnels are basically at water level and they're in danger of sinking. And there's still more fish to put in them. Now, let me tell you, that was not luck. And it wasn't even just about knowledge. It was a miracle. It was a miracle of God. And I reckon we can be pretty certain that even as embellished as fishing stories get, they've probably never heard a story like that before. I mean, like, Ken would say, I caught a fish this big. And Alex would say, oh, I caught one this big. 
And Andrew would say, well, I bought a whole, I caught a whole bucket load of fish. And Andrew would say, well, I caught a whole boatload of fish. And then Phil would say, oh, well, I caught two boatloads of fish and it was actually about to sink. We couldn't hold them all. I mean, nobody tells, nobody exaggerates quite that much. Um, and so I'm pretty sure these fishermen had never heard of anything like this ever happening before. It was obviously a miracle of God what had happened. And to them, it demonstrated the power and the authority of Jesus. And so when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That, by the way, is the appropriate response for when we encounter the power and the spiritual authority of God. We become so aware of our own unworthiness and, and, and how it's not, it's actually not a good fit for me to be involved in the work of Jesus because he is full of power, he is full of authority, uh, he is holy. I, I can't bear, I shouldn't even be with him. So there's a real picture of humility here. Get away from me. I'm a sinful man. And throughout the scriptures, whenever anyone encounters the holy God or encounters one of his holy angels, they become acutely aware of their own unholiness and their own sinfulness before him. And they fall on their face before God. And it is the humble who say, I am not worthy. The proud, they'll continue to stand because they believe that they are worthy. But because they refuse to humble themselves before Almighty God, they will never be worthy. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Luke that anyone calls Jesus Lord. Up until this point, Simon's been calling him Master. But now he calls him Lord. Now, to be Lord encompasses all of what master means, but it's more. You don't willingly fall at your feet of your master, but we do willingly fall at the feet of our Lord. Righto. We're told that all of the fishermen were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And the word astonished there, it doesn't mean, oh, that was a bit of a surprise. It means they were seized with wonder combined with fear. These days, we preachers, I think we too often present Jesus as your, your buddy, mate, pal. Um, or we might present him as some kind of anemic, watered-down, effeminate, nice guy. Uh, some of the worship songs we sing might almost seem to almost present him as Jesus, my boyfriend. Um, but here we have tough fishermen encountering the power and the spiritual authority of Jesus, and they were seized with wonder combined with fear. And if you and I are not filled with the wonder of God, and the fear of God that I'm pretty confident to say that maybe we haven't met Jesus. Are you seized 
with the wonder and fear of God. But here's the amazing thing. When we are seized by this wonder and fear of God, he lifts us up. Do not be afraid. Now, the proud and the self-confident were never afraid in the first place. Well, they should be afraid. But the humble who fall down before God in fear are lifted up. Don't be afraid. Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. See, Simon, he realised that he wasn't worthy to be going about the business of Jesus. And that's the thing. Jesus takes those who know that they're not worthy. If you know that you're not worthy, if you know that you've got nothing to offer Jesus, you're exactly the person he wants. Jesus takes those who are not worthy and he sets these about his business for the kingdom of God. Some of you know that experience very well. You might have felt called by God to serve him in some way and you go, I can't do that. But you knew that God was doing it and you had faith and you took a step and you started and you suddenly, all of a sudden you realise, wow, this is, this is working. Now, did you go, my, what a clever person I was? No, of course you didn't. You went, praise God. Lord, what an, how blessed it is to, to feel you working through even me. And you knew what it meant for God to call those who are not worthy to be about his kingdom business. And so Jesus said to Simon Peter, from now on, you'll be catching men. That was the call of Jesus to Simon Peter to serve him. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Everything? They left everything. I mean, Jesus had just given these blokes the greatest catch, the greatest bonanza of their fishing careers. And now you want us to leave it? Now, I suspect that the majority of Christians, when they're trying to seek the will of God, I suspect that the majority of us use what's known as the open door, closed door principle. You know what I mean? You know, you've heard of the open door, closed door principle for seeking the will of God? Essentially, that puts a spiritual take on choosing the path of least resistance. If the path seems clear in this direction, it's obviously the direction of God. Or if the path seems easy in this direction, that must be the direction God wants me to go. Really? My Bible tells me that we are to walk down the narrow road, to walk down the hard road. My Bible tells me that we will suffer for following Jesus. And I actually rarely see the open door, closed door principle in the Bible. Now, some of you might want to argue with me about that. And please do. Come and talk to me and we'll, we'll, we'll go through the scripture references. Um, but right here, 
is a classic example. Jesus had just given these, these blokes, these fishermen, the greatest bonanza of their fishing careers. Now, what would the open door, closed door principle tell you at that point? Well, God's blessed us here. God obviously wants us to continue. He obviously wants us to continue being fishermen. God has supernaturally blessed our business. Therefore, he wants us in this business. But they didn't look for open doors and closed doors. They followed the word of Jesus. If you honestly want to know God's will for your life, start with the word of Jesus. Read his word. And I can guarantee you that as you read the words of Jesus, you're going to be challenged day after day after day of different turns and directions that God's going to want you to personally make. There'll be things where you will know, I need to change this. I have to get rid of this sin in my life. Or you'll realize, I actually, God's actually calling me to serve him in this way. And you're going to see that over and over and over again as you read the scriptures. So these disciples, they, they left the fish right there. They heard the word of Jesus and they left the fish right there on the side of the lake. Now, presumably, other people would have come and helped themselves to it. Um, we wouldn't leave a bonanza like that to go to waste. But Simon, Peter, Andrew, James and John, they left the catch. They left their boats. They left their nets. They left their businesses. They left their occupations and... I think I'm going to be a bit sexist here, but perhaps specifically for men, we know that often to leave our occupations is, is probably leaving what defines us as men. They left everything and followed Jesus. So, what do we do with that? You see, if the wretched preacher gets up this morning and says, we all have to follow the example of Elisha. Kiss your mum and dad goodbye, burn your gear and head off for a new life of serving God. If that's the message that I'm going to preach this morning, most of you are going to go, I don't think so. And you'll just stop listening. You'll be there like stunned mullets going, oh, he's way off track. That's only a message for those who are called to be missionaries, which isn't me. And if I was to say the message today is to follow the example of the disciples, leave everything to follow Jesus, and then you'll be a good Christian. If that's the message that I give you today, not only would it be incorrect, it would be destructive to the kingdom of God and to the Christian church. You see, you know as well as I do that we are not all called to serve God in the same way. Um, and so the call of God upon Simon Peter is different to the call of God upon Michael. And the call of God upon Michael is different to the call of God upon Alex. We understand this, don't we? But the thing is, way too often we know this and the knowledge of this causes us to look at a passage like that and go, you know, it's only two paragraphs and it's not applying to me. 
I'll just skip over that and move on to the next bit. It might apply to me. But the thing is, it does. It does apply to you and it does apply to me. So as I was preparing for this message, this week I found myself asking the question, does it cost some people more to follow Jesus than what it costs others? Of course it does. Of course it does. In some countries, to become a follower of Jesus is a death sentence. It costs them enormously. And even today, God calls some to give up everything so that they are able to serve God in ways that they never could if they remain tied to their career or if they remain tied to their business or if they remain tied to their home or if they remain tied to their comfort and their safety. They have to give up all of these things in order to serve God in the ways that he has called them them to serve him. But I want you to hear this. God doesn't only call those who have nothing to leave everything. Can you think about that? I'll say it again. God does not only call those who have nothing to leave everything. You see, most often we we get... We look at our own circumstances and you know what? God has put so many responsibilities in my life. I have to keep on in this area. God does not only call those who have nothing to leave everything. Remember the rich young ruler. Jesus said to him, sell up everything you've got, give it to the poor and then come and follow me and and you'll have riches in heaven. Did he do it? No. Why not? Because he loved stuff more than he loved Jesus. So how does this apply to us? Here at Bush Disciples, we talk a lot about discipleship, don't we? I'm hoping you go, yep, we talk a lot about discipleship, do we? Yeah. Three of you are nodding, so... Three of you listen. When those fishermen left everything to follow Jesus, they were answering a specific call upon their lives to be catchers of men. And for them, it meant they had to leave everything. Now, for them to be catchers of men, that's a bit of a strange phrase when you think about it, to be a catcher of men. Um, But when you think about it, We are all captured by something, aren't we? What are you captured by? So back in chapter 4, when Jesus stood up to read the scriptures, he said that I've come to proclaim liberty for the captives. right? Liberty, freedom, release for the captives. But you know what? The liberty that Jesus is proclaiming is to be captured by Christ. We all have to be captured by something. And so to be set free is to be captured by Christ. So there once was a time we were captured by sin and and death. And and some are captured by greed. Some are captured by hatred. 
Some are captured by anger and bitterness. Some are captured by the desires that they have. Some are captured by what they see as circumstances in their life. Some are captured by their own ambitions and the targets that they set themselves. Some are captured by the worship that they have of their family. Some are captured by selfishness. And we can never be set free of these things until we are captured by Christ. And that is what happened on those shores of the lake that day. Four fishermen were captured by Christ. And then they were given the task of catching for Christ. Let me put it like this. They were onlookers, but they moved from being onlookers to being disciples of Jesus in the true meaning of the word. They were tire kickers. Oh yeah, just there having a bit of a look. But they moved from just having a bit of a look to buying in. And they became true disciples. They became men who would follow Jesus. They became men who would learn from Jesus, who would imitate Jesus. They became men who would give sacrificially of themselves to serve him and to become men who would proclaim him even if their lives were at risk. And this is the call to be a disciple of Jesus. This, this we do have in common. We may not be called to serve Jesus in the same way as what they were. And we are all called to serve in different ways. But do not doubt this. To be a true disciple of Jesus means to be captured by Jesus. Means to follow Jesus. To learn from Jesus. To imitate him. To give sacrificially of ourselves to serve him. And to become men and women who would proclaim him even if our lives are at risk. So where you are and in the occupation you have, in the town you live in and in the family in which you are, in all of these things, when it comes to Jesus, are you an onlooker or are you indeed a disciple? Now, it seems to me that the Christian church of today is becoming more and more a service that is provided for us to consume rather than a calling that every one of us has on our own lives to sometimes sacrifice greatly in order to serve him as our Lord. In this day and age of, of megachurches and professional speakers, professional worship leaders, professional youth leaders, professional counsellors, we lose sight so often of the very personal call of sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the band Crast, Casting Crowns sums it up in their song, Start Right Here. In verse 1, he says, We want our coffee in the lobby. We watch our worship on a screen. We got a rock star preacher 
who won't wake us from our dreams. We want our blessings in our pocket. We keep our missions overseas. But for the hurting in our cities, would we even cross the street? In that verse, he's describing onlookers, not disciples. What are we? What am I? What are you? When it comes to Jesus, are you an onlooker or are you indeed a disciple in the true sense of the word? We're going to pray now and I only want you to pray this prayer if you are willing to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you and I'm committing now to leave everything, if, if that's what you ask of me. But I will follow you to whatever you call. You know, if, if Jesus does ask us to leave everything, that really shouldn't be that difficult because it's merely putting into practice what we committed to when we were born again. I've told you, I've said this so many times, um, Becoming a Christian, becoming a disciple of Jesus is something which is so significant. Jesus described it as being born again. We put the old man to death, we raise up the new. We, we put to death our old ways and we take up his ways. And so as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, from the time that we committed our lives to him, it's no longer my will but your will be done. So I only pray this prayer if, um, if you're willing to say yes to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you were willing to leave everything. You left your throne above and you humbled yourself even to death on a cross. Lord, we praise you that you live again you rose to life. Lord, open our ears to hear your call. And we say to you right here, right now, yes, Lord. Whatever you command, we will do. Wherever you send, we will go. We know that we are not worthy. And so by your Holy Spirit, cleanse us, renew us, equip us, fill us, empower us to serve you for the sake of your kingdom. Lord, for too long we've been onlookers. But Lord, we seriously want to get real with you and to be your disciples in the true sense of the word for your glory. Amen.